0: For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist. And in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ t and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Shared Knowledge Podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is episode two, season two. This is my Q&A show for DJs, where I try to answer as many DJ-related questions as possible. Now, you can send me questions through IG, Facebook, comments, and YouTube, you name it. I have a bunch of questions right here, and I'll try to answer all of these questions. And whenever I run into a question that I just don't know the answer to, I will just honestly tell you, I do not know. Now, the great Thing about this is reading the comments and reading the questions i run into a lot of situations that i'm familiar with but also a lot of stuff i don't know because not all djs have the same type of career so i'm still learning on a daily basis and i absolutely love that so my goal with this show is to add value to the dj community Help you become better DJs and at the same time educate myself and hopefully we can all learn from each other now I have a bunch of questions ready like I said I want to talk about social media taking your DJ skills to the next level playing DJ pool tracks in public I mean these are all questions I received and before I get into those questions just a quick little plug if you want to know more about me make sure you check me out on DJTLM.com if you're not familiar with my video content you should definitely check out DJTLM TV on on YouTube. Uh, I do post content in different places, but that's where you find like 450 DJ related videos right now. And if you want to find me anywhere else on social media, the handle is DJTLM everywhere. If you want to send me a question, share the knowledge at DJTLM.com. But you can also just check a comment section or DMs on Instagram work really well. Let's get into the show and let's get into the first question. So let's get into that first question. It's about social media, and this question comes all the way from India. Talking about Instagram, I see a lot of DJs that are using bots and automation just to increase their following to try to show themselves bigger than they actually are. A lot of DJs, especially female DJs here in India, who don't even know how to beat match are doing big clubs and events with pre-mixed sets just because they're females and have good social media following and management teams. What's your take on this? Do DJs need to spend more time and money on social media and marketing or on themselves to increase their creativity and talent in DJing and music? So my answer to the second part is very simple. That's both. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But let's just start at that beginning. So it's a fact that you have a lot of people, not just DJs, but people who find different ways to get that follower count up because they know it'll look better so that could be fake followers uh, buying comments you name it i've seen them i know them um sometimes it absolutely looks ridiculous like you have someone who will have like sixty-five thousand followers on instagram but every photo they post will have maybe 100 likes and like one or two comments once you see that you know most likely that's just not a real number or Those followers are just not good followers, meaning they're not really an influencer because there's no engagement. The people aren't really interested. They probably just click follow because they liked one video and never looked again. I don't know, but those numbers don't really add up. So yes, you have people, not just in India, but in different places, who have a great social media following They have a marketing team, they built a brand for themselves, and because of that, they are now being booked to do all sorts of things. So they might get great brand deals to promote stuff, but they are also in a position where they can actually get booked to come DJ, even if they're like terrible DJs. And for some, it's like just a plan. They'll let themselves be booked as DJs, they don't know how to DJ, they'll have that pre-mix set, like you said, um, and they're getting away with it. It works And you have to realize that this is not new. This has been going on forever. The only difference is back in the days, it used to be movie stars, athletes, you name it. And now we have people that are internet famous, but they still have a following and that's all that counts. The promoters at a club, like we can go back like 10, 20, whatever years, they would actually pay famous people to come to their club because it would be a good look for their club or event. Man, I even remember like what I would call not even like the famous famous, but like semi-famous people would still get nice amounts of money just to come through a party. They wouldn't even stay all night. They would stay like 20, 30 minutes. The photos would get taken and they'd be out again. Now, the same thing happens with people now that have that following. The only difference is, like I said, it's internet fame instead of like movie fame. But times have changed. A lot of internet famous people are actually bigger than some of these movie stars. They have a way larger following. You have people on YouTube that put out videos and every video they upload has like 10 or 20 million views and they drop like multiple videos a week. Those are crazy, crazy numbers. So it's just business. I understand that's how promoters and club owners look at it. Now, as far as they get them getting booked, if they book someone who's famous and has a following and it will attract a crowd, even if it's a terrible DJ, if that club is full and people are all anxious to see that person, for the club owner, it's a win. I understand for us DJs, it can be annoying to see someone on stage who can't DJ, who is using a pre-mixed set, but the crowd that that person attracts doesn't seem to mind or they actually like it. So who are we to complain? That's not our gig. And the club owner is fine with it. They're going to continue to do that. Um... So, yeah, it might be a fact that it's because they're females, uh, probably with, like, a good-looking females with a big Instagram following. And they can promote to their followers, like, I'm DJing at that club and people will come. It's business. So, nothing you can really do about that. So, let's skip that. That is what it is. Feel about it how you want to feel about it. I'm not saying it's a good thing or bad thing. You have to decide how you feel about that. It's just how it is. We cannot change that. Now, the second part... Like you asked, spend more time and money on social media and marketing or on your skills. It has to be both. We're living in an era where you cannot depend on just your skills. It's been proven plenty of times, like we just talked about, DJs getting gigs when they're not really DJs, just famous people. You see the same thing with artists. You have artists nowadays that are getting record deals when they weren't even an artist, but they just had like this internet following and labels are like, hey, you have a following, you have people who you have influence over, they'll probably buy your product or stream your product all day, here's a record deal. It happens, so you can't just depend on your skill. Now you wanna make sure that you focus on your skill because at the end of the day, hopefully, if you decide that you wanna become a DJ, you should want to be a good DJ. Just from a technical aspect, be a good DJ. When it comes to your song selection, be a good DJ. That should be your goal. Besides that is the other part, and that is branding yourself, making sure you see yourself as a brand and try to get that out there. So, yes, you have to market yourself and social media is a great way to do that. Social media has opened the door for all of us to be able to have that outlet. It's not like you can produce a video at home and then you have to hope that one of the TV stations will use your video and play it on their music channel. That's in the past. We all have access to the internet. We all have the option to promote ourselves. Look, I'll take myself as an example. I started out as a DJ and I had a DJ career. I still DJ, but I was a DJ for a long time and at a certain point, I just found that the people here where I live, there just weren't enough people who truly appreciate what I do as a DJ. So I found YouTube and I started to do videos on YouTube, DJ videos to promote myself as a DJ and to show what it is that I do. Back in the days I couldn't have done that, I did it the other way through my mixtapes and I would have to sell and give away those mixtapes everywhere. Go to places, go to events, share that tape, sell that tape to get my name out there. It's a hustle, it works, but this allows me to do the same thing, but with people from all over the world. Now, even though YouTube and mixes didn't work out after I did it for a couple of years, I already found a new audience from all over the world. Now, of course, after that i made that switch and i started to do different types of videos that did not include music and i turned it into an educational new channel that's a channel that you're watching now if you're watching the video clip dj tlm tv um i found a new audience and a lot of people were able to find me that's what the internet and that's what social media has done so yes it's a great way to get out there now side note when it comes to this channel if you wanna start getting more bookings as a DJ, do not make a channel like this. That does not help at all. I have not gotten a single booking as a DJ from the videos that I do on this channel. That's not what it does. But if I wanted to brand myself as a certain type of DJ, and really focus on getting gigs like that, social media will be a place, great place to do that by actually making sure I have a lot of mixes with that type of material online, Mixcloud, wherever and then find the audience that i want to cater to online on ig on facebook on twitter looking searching for hashtags trying to find people who like the type of music that i'm playing and then interacting with those people finding and building your audience make sure that they start to see and hear your name so you should definitely spend time on that as well you can be the greatest dj with all the skills but if you're sitting at home And you do nothing, nothing's going to happen. Simple as that. All right, so this question is about playing music from a DJ pool in public. And I know a lot of you are probably familiar with this and know how it works, but I've received a couple of questions like this before. So I feel it's important to actually address this in a video and on the podcast right now. And that question comes from a 13 year old DJ and he's basically new to a lot of these things. So let me just talk about this. I just encountered your channel and I was wondering how you play your music. Do you have to buy every single song and album to avoid legal issues or are there alternative legal solutions? In one of your videos, you talked about DJ pools. They sound great, but can you play the music from them at gigs or are they just for reference and do you have to be an established DJ to use them? I'm an aspiring 13-year-old DJ who's just started, but is getting a bit caught up in all of the legal stuff and your advice would be much appreciated. All right, so here's the thing. DJ pools have been around for a long time. I mean, before the internet, we had DJ pools. Back in the days, it was a little bit different. As a DJ, if you were part of a DJ pool, of a record pool every month, you would get a stack of vinyl. Now, you would not know what you were getting in advance, it all depended on which tracks were being released by the record label. So anytime a record label wants to release new music, before the official release, they also make promo copies on vinyl and they would send those to DJs. But instead of sending those to every DJ by themselves, they would use record pools and those record pools would distribute to a bunch of DJs. Now, of course, nowadays it's a little bit different because it's all digital, so no one's sending you vinyl anymore. You just become part of a record pool and then you can just go through the archive and download the music. Some record pools will have you leaving feedback so that the record companies can see how DJs actually feel about the tracks. Some don't ask for lot of feedback so that depends on which record pool Uh, all record pools are a little bit different when it comes to what kind of music they offer so you have to make sure you check the sites and just check to see what type of artists and titles you see and then you can see if it's appealing or if it's for you or not and yes it is legal the whole setup is legal so if you are part of that record pool and you download that music you can play that music at your gigs that's cool that's all fine The only thing is not all record pools are as easy to join. Some will actually ask for a lot of credentials to see if you're actually a DJ. So you'll have to fill out some information. I know some are more strict, others are definitely not. So just check that out. If you wanna apply, you'll see what they're asking for. But yes, that is totally legal. That's why it's such a great resource for us. You have access to a lot of music, you pay a monthly low fee, and it's all there, plus you get instrumentals and edits, acapellas, whenever that's available. So you get a lot, and yeah, it's just a a matter of going through what else is in there, listening to it, finding the tracks you want, downloading the tracks. Most of them are already tagged and everything, so you're good to go. So I hope that helps you out. Uh, Just take a look at the DJ pools, see which one fits your needs best, and then just apply, and um, you'll see what happens. All right, so I have a question right here about cue points and I've done videos about cue points before. This is a video request. I might do a new video as well, but I wanted to talk about this for a second. Now the question is, I'm a bedroom DJ and I'm studying the craft more and more. Can you do a video on marking cue points and setting out points on a track? I'm realizing most of the work in DJing is done before the set. With so many tracks, who has time to mark all the cue points? All right, that's what I wanted to talk about because that is important. So first of all, if you're watching this or listening to the podcast and you're not familiar with cue points, a cue point is basically a marker in a track that allows you to go straight to that point. So cue points give you easy access to any point in the song. That's a lot easier than when we were using vinyl and you would have to like spin forward to find it, spin back to go back to a, point, a previous point. A cue point will allow you to do that automatically. You can trigger that cue point either within DJ software or on CDJs on a button. But in order to use cue points, first you have to set them because they're not in your songs yet. So you have to decide if you want to have markers in that track that will allow you to go straight to that point. Now for me personally, I use cue points. A lot of times I'll have a cue point at the first beat. That's a part I wanna get back to easily. A lot of times I might be playing or queuing it up and instead of bringing it back, I can just hit that cue point and be back at the beginning. A lot of times I'll have one at the beginning of a verse because I like the backspin, that first sentence, stuff like that. And maybe I'll have some cue points either further in the track, like a breakdown or something like that. And with other tracks, I might just have cue points on single drum sounds. So one on a kick, one on a high, one on a snare. So I can do some finger drumming on the pads. That's my preferred method of using cue points. I know a lot of DJs also use cue points as a marker for their transition in and out points to have like that visual indicator to show them like, okay, My cue point is coming up. This is where I have to start my transition. That works. I don't use it, but I understand that that definitely works. Now, in this case, you're wondering how much time it's going to take to mark all of your cue points. It's going to take a lot of time. You don't have to mark all your tracks with cue points. That's where you begin. You do not play all of the music in your music collection. So, if we're talking about preparation... If you wanna set cue points in advance, which is a good thing, you can do that with the tracks that you will most likely play. If you're still a bedroom DJ right now, you're practicing at home. Whenever you practice and you load in a new track that you haven't put cue points in yet, you put the cue points in right then when you're playing it. That way, after a while, a lot of your tracks will have the cue points in there. Now, if you're already doing gigs and you're downloading a lot of new music every week, you don't have to put cue points in all of those tracks. Now, for me, like I have to go back to that point, you're realizing most of the work in DJing is done before the set. For me personally, that is not the case since I'm playing freestyle, so I do not prepare my set. I do make sure that I have an idea of what I'm bringing. So that definitely counts as preparation, but since I'm DJing digitally, those crates are already in my laptop. I might just take a look and maybe make a special crate for an evening and fill it with tracks, but a lot of times I don't even do that. And it happens a bunch of times and I'm playing and I'm loading in a track, and I took it from a different folder and that version does not have the cue points yet, It takes me a couple of seconds to set, of course, that cue point at the beginning, that's easy. So the first time I load the track, go to the beginning, set that cue point, move it forward, or just beat match it. Once I'm beat matching, cueing it, I'll get to that point where the verse begins, set a cue point there. I can work that way, but the preferred method is to make sure that at least Most of the tracks that you play most often have the cue points in there, but if you're at home right now, that's no issue. But you do not have to do everything. Just please keep that in mind, because I get this question more often, like people telling me, like, yeah, I've been uh, busy the last couple of weeks putting cue points in all my music. I'm like, why would you do that? Most likely, I have a collection of music. Some of these tracks in here never get played. I still have to take those out. But why would you spend time on something when you don't even know if you would play that track? So um, there's no need to do that. Now I'll think about making a new cue point video to explain it again. But if you go to DJ TLM TV, uh, go to the channel page, you go to the search box right there, and you hit cue points. You type cue points. You will get the videos that I made about cue points, I have a video how to make cue points, I even have a video that shows you how you can make a cue point with stickers using real vinyl. So I have some material about that on the channel already. So I hope that helps you out. Have fun practicing and while you're practicing set those cue points. So this next question is about a scenario that a lot of us are scared of or were scared of, and a lot of us have been through it. This is about being in a situation where your equipment fails during a gig. And yes, this question is about laptops, but I've seen plenty of situations where DJs were struggling with a CDJ that didn't work anymore, uh, a mixer failure, you name it. All sorts of things can happen. But let's go into this question. Now, I've been getting straight gigs for about six months now, and I haven't experienced any glitches, like laptop freezes, etc. What do you do when this happens? Can you make a video about this on your channel? I'm working with the SP2, and I don't have a four-channel controller, so I can't play emergency mixes. So what he means is, if you have a four-channel mixer, and you're using two channels, you can use like one of the other two channels to connect like an extra device with a mix just in case. Um, So he still wanted to know what I feel about that. So here's my thing. I went to a transition period when I was switching from vinyl to digital. I used digital for a while when I was using Final Scratch, but I would always have my vinyl with me because Final Scratch wasn't the most dependable system. And um, yeah, I had some fails with that, but mostly I saw other DJs have fails with it. So I was still bringing my vinyl, even though I was playing digitally. I just didn't trust it yet. Now I switched to Serato later on and it took me some time before I felt comfortable enough to leave vinyl at home so I was still bringing vinyl now mind you I was not bringing my three to four crates of vinyl I would bring one smaller crate and that crate was packed with nothing but these um, what's the best way to call them like these were like best of albums like collection albums with nothing but like bangers and hits so they were all double albums but every track on one of those albums would be uh, suitable for the clubs so this crate was like this big, but with that crate, I could spin a couple of hours of like dope tracks. I brought that crate along for, I don't know, probably at least six more months to every gig just because I was scared something would happen. One gig, something did happen to me, and at that gig, I hooked up my Serato. I was using the SL1, I had my vinyl there, and... The tracks were playing in reverse at that time i wasn't using serato that long yet i freaked out i had no idea what was going on now mind you internet wasn't that great then especially on phones so i didn't really have the option to look it up right on the spot if i could have done that i would have fixed the problem in two seconds uh that's beside the fact the problem was and i didn't know at that time if your tracks are playing in reverse It means that the RCA cables are in the wrong way now mind you if you looked at that the red and white went into the right uh, uh, inputs on the mixer but these were two of those older turntables that have been revised a couple of times new cables and the RCA cables weren't connected the right way so white was actually red and red was white now, if I would have known about that, I could have fixed it in 10 seconds. I didn't, so I freaked out. I was like, ah. So put Serato to the side, and I think I did a three-hour set with just that crate. Rocked the party. It worked, but it bugged me out. When I came home and realized it was that simple, I was like, okay, never mind. If that happens again, and it's happened a couple of times, switch to RCA, and then you're good to go. Now, I have played a gig where my laptop, my old old laptop that was like an old windows computer i was using um it got too hot the club was like crazy a lot of humidity a lot of heat and it got so hot that the laptop just it it got to a point where it just said and it went out in that case we were playing in a club and i was playing back to back with another dj and we had two sets right there so there was also a cdj set i believe there was a second set so i just looked at him as like play a track right now and it took a couple of seconds and he just started a track i actually just restarted my laptop and i lifted it up a bit put something under it so air could come underneath it and it did work for the rest of the night that was the first time i realized i need a laptop stand because i would have my laptop like just flat on the floor so the ventilation did not get its room lesson learned that's how you learn a lot of these things by making the mistakes um but in that case i had the backup now It would be in my best interest to always bring a backup and always have that connected. And I'll be very honest and tell you right now that I don't actually do that. I can't remember the last time I actually had something hooked up as a backup. Even when I'm playing on a set and there's a CDJ next to it, a lot of times I don't even have the flash drive in there. Now, I have a flash drive, so if something would happen to my set, I could switch and go to the CDJs, but I don't have it in there. I just... I don't know, I feel comfortable with my set. I know that at any time something could happen. Um, And if that does, then if there's an extra set, then I'm in a position to just put in that flash drive, fix it that way. If there's nothing else, um, yeah, then we would have a problem. But I actually hardly ever play in spots where the DJ set I'm playing on is the only set there. Most of the times I'm playing in clubs where the rest of the DJs are playing on CDJs and I'm the DJ coming in to play with turntables and Serato. So I know if anything happens, I use that. In your case, if you have um, your SB2 and you're doing gigs on that SB2, are you connecting that SB2 straight to a PA system or is your SB2 going into like an external mixer? It has to go into something. There has to be like a sound system... At the venue where you're playing most likely that sound system from the venue will have extra inputs so what you could do basically is use some type even if it's like a simple old-school mp3 player I still have my old iPod 120 gigs of music on there Uh, bring that and have that connected to that PA system If anything would happen to your set, you would have to like signal the engineer or whoever's in charge of the sound to start something on that. Even if it takes a couple of seconds, that's gonna go on and it's gonna give you time to figure out what's going on. Now, if your laptop is dead and it's not coming up, uh, it's not going on again, um, I don't know how you would fix that if your setup is the only setup there. So in that case, you're screwed. (laughs) Alright so let's talk about a question about taking it to the next level and I have to say right off the bat before even reading the question this can be interpreted in a lot of different ways because there are different ways you can take it to a next level so if you're a bedroom DJ right now and you want to start playing in clubs that's taking it to a next level. Uh, If you just learn how to mix and your transitions are going okay, but now you're starting to incorporate turntablism, that's taking it to a next level. If you're already playing in bars, but now you're going to play bigger events, that is a next level. So there's different ways to interpret that. And I wanted to say that before I get into this question, because I'm actually not totally sure what is meant in this case. So the question is, how do you know? or what level of skill does it take to take it to the next level with your DJing? Like, you're making a living with DJing. How do you get better? If you're a family man with a full-time job and a busy lifestyle, aside from DJing, our lifestyle is always on the go. When I have a gig, that's the only time uh, things slow down for me. I'm not very good at scratching, really haven't had the motivation to learn it like you do, um transitioning is very good and i'm pretty creative as well with that i have around 10 grand worth of equipment light speakers controllers etc uh the market where i live for djing really isn't here most clubs bars etc around me don't like hip-hop and dance genres uh, genres that i play it's more country classic rock crowds so it's hard to get known playing that kind of music So that's the thing. There's a couple of different things within this question. The first thing is about knowing what level of skill does it take to take it to the next level with your DJing. Like if you're already busy DJing, how do you get better? Now, if we're talking about skills, getting better, practice is the only solution. Now, if you're doing gigs, your gig is also practice. But if you want to really take it to a next level with your skills, you have to find time to practice. Now, As someone who has spent time being a full-time DJ and family man, I know that, yeah, we live a busy lifestyle, but it's not like there's no time left. If you currently have no time left, there's a very good possibility that you're not spending your time right. Um, If you take a close look at your time, you most likely will find that you're wasting quite a lot of time that could have been spent on more productive things. I found that out about myself as well. Now, I'm not a full-time DJ right now. I'm spending most of my time on creating content uh, for my channel, with the podcast, you name it. And then I have my clients, I produce content for them. That is part of what I do. Then I have some DJ gigs and I still tour with Brainpower. All of that combined creates uh, or is what I do right now so I'm living in an era and we're living in an era where I'm able to actually diversify and do like five six different things that are all DJ related so to me that's perfect now that makes it even more busy than when you're just a DJ because to be honest DJ life isn't that hectic if you're a family man and you do gigs on the weekend or even if you have some weekday gigs it's not like you're running around all day That's it for me, at least. That's not the case. You will still have extra time here and there. Um, But in your case, you're also talking about that you have like lights, speakers, controllers. So are you looking to also like get into doing like mobile gigs? Are you currently actually doing gigs or are you a bedroom DJ who wants to take it to the next level and start playing gigs uh, in clubs? I can't really tell from that. But going to the latter part of this story, you're playing in an area where they're not playing the type of music that you're playing in the bars and clubs. So how can you get your, um, how can you get your gigs? I would suggest what I say all the times is if you're living in an area where no one is doing the type of parties you wanna do, you're gonna to have to be the one to do them. Now do a small event for people who actually like the music that you play. So you're gonna to have to do the research or maybe you already know this, are there people in your area who would love to hear the music that you're playing and don't wanna to go to the bars where they're playing like the country and classic rock? I can imagine that there's basically no place on the planet where there's still only people who wanna hear country and classic rock. So most likely there will be a crowd there that wants to hear hip hop and dance, uh, dance and those type of genres. Find those people, if not in person, search online, find those people and organize a small event to build your own fan base. And I mean small, small. I've talked about this in several other videos, but that is an option. Or you have to start looking beyond your own area and find out where the places are, where they are more into the music that you're playing. So there's multiple ways to interpret and I hope I kind of answered that but just keep in mind that that is part of the thing. If you wanna get better as a DJ, you're gonna to have to spend that time and practice and become better and evolve, add more to your skill set. If we're talking about actually venturing out and doing gigs, you have to start finding the spots where you could actually play if they're not in your area. You're gonna to have to create that for yourself or move out and find it somewhere else. Now, if you wanna know more, hit me back. Um, Once again, I don't know, I I think this was uh, a YouTube question, if I'm not mistaken. So hit me back if you hear this or see this, uh, if you have more information, all right? Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Banzoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website, and that was very easy. Banzooko plans started just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. So this is a topic that I love to talk about for the simple fact that it allows me to get rid of some of the stigma around this and also make sure I educate people the right way. And that is this question. The question is, what is is hard or easier scratching with a jog wheel or actual vinyl. Now a lot of people are still looking at controllers like that's not for DJing, that's not for scratching and then you have people saying like turntable is the only real thing you name it. That discussion is so old it's incredible that it's still alive but here's the thing you have plenty of controllers out there that are great for basic scratching you can learn basic scratches on those controllers, a lot of the controllers. Uh, So scratching with a jog wheel, it works. You can definitely do it. If you want to learn more about scratching, if you want to do more advanced techniques, the only way to learn that is by using turntables. It is a different feeling. It allows you to truly feel the movement and that really helps you. Out. Now, I don't actually have to explain that anymore because the proof is there. Have you seen or do you know any DJ who started on a controller, still plays with a controller, and has totally mastered like turntablism skills? I highly doubt it. I've seen great performances on controllers, but all of those DJs performing those routines started with turntables that's where they learn the technique and the muscle memory they have allows them to do those same things with that non-moving platter that's it for me i can do things on a small controller you might have that same controller you learn on that and i'll do things that make you say like wait a minute how can you do that with this controller that never works for me That is, that's what I noticed because with like a small controller with like no visual indicators, nothing, I was still able to do the right hand movement because my hand is actually used to having to do a certain movement because of the moving platter. That's for me, that's the best way for me to explain it. It just gives you a better feeling and you have more control over it. So if you wanna learn how to scratch, you can use your controller. If you wanna take that to a next level, advanced scratches, turntablism, a turntable is still the best tool to learn how to do that. Now, if you use that to learn how to do it, you can go back to that controller and do iller things with it that you could ever do before, but chances are after you've done it with the turntable, you prefer the moving platters for scratching and turntablism. I still have my turntables, but that's why I also like all the controllers removing platters. That's why the NS7, when it came out, that was like, I love that thing. It gave me that vinyl feel, and it gave me all the advantages of a controller. So hard, easier, basic scratches you can do on anything. If you want to go further than that, take that turntable. Like for instance, I did a Saturday Sessions video where I'm actually using the SB. And this same person here is telling me that he has the DDJ-SB. Check out that video if you haven't checked it out and you can see what I'm doing with that SB. I actually start on a turntable and then I do the same thing on that SB. And for a lot of people who just start on that SB, it's gonna be really hard to do the same thing I did if they haven't learned to do that on a turntable first. But if we're talking about basic scratches, you wanna do like a baby scratch, you wanna do some cuts, you wanna transform, all of that stuff can be done with controllers, CDJs, no problem. But if you're asking me like what's harder, what's easier, that's pretty subjective. Like for me, a turntable feels better. So for me, it's easier on a turntable than it is on a jog wheel, because that's like a non-moving piece of plastic. That does not give me the same feel. I can do it, but I'll prefer that moving platter. If you started out on a jog wheel, that's all you know. It's going to be easier for you on that jog wheel than it probably is when you get that moving platter the first time. But after you practice with that turntable for a while, things start to change. All right, so right now I want to talk about Ableton and Just to be clear, I do not have a lot of experience with Ableton, not for live performances, not for producing. I tried it like a couple of times. I'm going to have to really sit down with that one because that is different from all the systems that I used to use, like Cubase, Logic, even Machine. Ableton is a different animal, but I still will find time sometime to really learn how to do it master it because i liked what i saw but this is a question from sri lanka and the question is i used to use cdjs as my standard setup but now because technology has taken over the music industry i feel like switching to ableton live for my live performances can you talk about pros and cons of performing live music with ableton on stage versus using cdjs to play mp3s now look First of all, you want to switch because technology has taken over the music industry. I'm not sure what that actually means. So you would have to elaborate. Like yes, tech is definitely playing a bigger part. And if we're talking about technology and we're including the internet, the internet has totally changed the way the music industry works from sales to streams, you name it. That's a fact. But that has nothing to do with you playing a DJ set. If you decide that you wanna go to Ableton to play live music, that is a conscious decision to switch from just playing songs to actually becoming more of a performer because Ableton does allow you to be way more creative. You can load tracks in there, but you can also have like your own music in there, mix it in, then take certain parts of the track out, just let you hear like drums or just melody. You have options and you can do a lot of fun stuff with it. Now, mind you, again, I'll tell you, I do not have a lot of experience with it, but I've seen people use it. I've seen that you have a lot of possibilities and it could be great for live performances, especially if you're a DJ who's performing with like an artist, I've seen DJs do that as well. Great. A lot of tools in there that are great to use, but it is a totally different animal than going on stage and playing songs. And that could be from a CDJ. That could be from turntables. a controller doesn't really matter. So it has nothing to do with the fact that technology has taken over the music industry. That does not matter. So my question to you would be, do you have your own music? Are you producing music? Do you have songs where you have the separate stems, the separate layers of the track? Then it would make more sense to have something like Ableton. But you could also use a tractor and work with stems in that. That's a different story. But if you're only going to use like the same MP3s that you're using now in the CDJs, then it doesn't really make sense to switch to Ableton because now you have to bring a different type of setup. What are you going to use to control Ableton? Are you going to bring something like push or a different type of device? Um, And you have to bring your laptop, you name it. So it's a totally different animal compared to if you're now using CDJs, most likely with like a flash drive. So if you're gonna do a lot of like live manipulation, adding extra samples and layers and stuff like that, Ableton is great. I can't really talk about the pros and cons, but if we're talking about being creative and actually performing, Ableton can do a lot for you. If you're just gonna play music, I see no reason for you to switch to a different system right now. So I wanna take a second to talk about emceeing during your DJ set. And I know for some of you, this is not an option. You just do not feel comfortable with a microphone. That's perfectly fine. There's no saying that you have to be able to rock a microphone during a set, but it is an additional skill that's very useful to have within your arsenal. So if you are comfortable enough speaking in front of people, it would make sense to also be able to hold that mic during your gig, practice that at home. Um, The question I have here it's not really a question, it's more a scenario, but I wanna talk about this for a second. It has to do with controlling the mic. Now, last weekend, I arrived as a guest DJ at a new hip hop club in Shanghai, and like two minutes before my set, the manager gave me a mic and said I should use it during my set. All right, lucky enough, I didn't mind, but one problem I realized during my set whilst occasionally seeing is that I ran out of things to say for crowd hypes. I had already used the obvious hype, such as everybody makes some noise, et cetera, but for sure, I saw myself touching the mic less as my gig went on. So, basically, the question is what do you do in a situation like that? For me personally, as a DJ who has MC'd a lot during gigs, and I still do sometimes, but if there's an MC present who I trust, I'm perfectly fine with that. But I've been in situations where there's an MC and it's like a terrible MC. I'll tell that MC straight away, like, Holmes, listen up, I'll take my own set, I'll host my own set, so do you, but don't speak through my set, simple as that. Um, Here's the thing, don't overthink MCing. So the first thing I do is I don't MC too much. You have certain DJs who just grab that microphone every chance they get to ask people to throw their hands up again, you don't want to overdo that. Depends on the crowd like certain crowds if they really came to see that DJ They'll probably do anything the DJ says, but if we're talking a club night People just come to that club to party. They don't want to have some MC like commanding them to do this and that all night long So use it when it's appropriate Don't feel you have to do it all the time in my case I don't have a lot of go-to sentences I use I say I might say something like make some noise but it's not gonna be like really interesting, special things to sound different. So if I feel that a certain thing is good, like asking people to make some noise, and if that works, I might do that again later on. So in my case, I'll use the microphone in the beginning when I start, and I might just ask people like, are you ready to party? Yeah, I know, it's a standard line, whatever. That's that little interaction. If you get like a yeah, you could, continue and just start playing from there or if you know what type of track you're playing you could like in the middle of your set like stop and if it's a familiar artist like where all my let me do old school where are my Tupac fans at well if you get that reaction you gotta make sure that you know what type of crowd you have there but something like that if they give you a reaction and you throw that Tupac in there they'll go nuts stuff like that or maybe every once in a while I'll grab a mic and I'll sing sing i'll rap along just like one of those sentences that i know the crowd is going to say as well take that fader down and just sing along having some fun and do that there's no saying that you have to constantly talk to that crowd constantly use that mic but there are situations where it could definitely help you out like for instance if you want to switch to a totally different genre or a totally different bpm range being able to just stop a track Address the crowd with the microphone and then start a new track in a different tempo different genre is perfect But don't overthink it don't use it too much and Don't be scared to say the same thing a couple of times if that works That's my opinion if you have advice if you do a lot of MCing and you do it differently Let us know in the comment section down below All right, so this question definitely hits close to home. This is one of the things within my DJ career I feel I should have done differently. And that is a question about playing uh, for a radio station. Now here's the thing, should you plan your track list for a radio station or just freestyle? Um, Two things, I've had my own radio shows on radio stations and that was like a mix show. In that case I did not prepare that was just me doing like two-hour sets and I would have my own stuff there like my own equipment I made sure like with one station I used to have my NS7 there with the other station I had a turntable set like permanently there just for me to come in and play but that was in my own comfort zone my own show so I get to do what I do in that case I felt perfectly at home just did my thing but I've also done guest radio uh, uh, slots where you just come in during a program and within that program you do like a 30 or 40-minute set. I did those freestyle and to me, it did not work well. So it looked like like twice that it happened, not like 10 times, twice. Both times, I did not feel good about the gig and it gave, I needed some time to think about what actually went wrong. And the thing is... I wasn't in my own personal vibe because I wasn't in my own space. Now, normally, that's not an issue. If I go to a new club, that's not my space. But if you're playing in a club, you have the crowd reaction. You have the crowd interaction. If you're in a radio station, you're in a booth, you do not have any interaction. There's no crowd. So you don't see how people react. When it's in an uncomfortable or unfamiliar surrounding, I just did not catch the vibe like I catch it when I'm in a club or even when I'm doing like my own sets for a radio station for my own radio show. So that definitely made a difference and afterwards I thought to myself if I ever do guest radio spots again I have to make sure I prepare those. Now I might not do a total prepared set but I have to make sure like I have an intro outro ready and at least like half of the stuff I'm going to do within that mix has to be at least set so I know this is what I'm gonna do, this is where I'm gonna go next, maybe plan a little routine in there as well. Just because I'm not gonna have that interaction, so I wanna make sure that I have a solid thing prepared because I'm not gonna get the energy, that's it for me. When I play freestyle, it's not just about reading the crowd to know what to play next, you're also going off their energy, their energy feeds me when I'm playing. I didn't have that at the radio, so I needed to remind myself like, okay, it's a different scenario, different surroundings, uh, treated in a different way. So that's my personal thing. Again, when I did my own show, that was my own thing. I was there like an hour early, setting up everything. I knew exactly what I was gonna do because it was totally me. And that just felt different and I never really had that issue. Now, the thing also is for my own radio show, I made sure that I was live streaming it And I was reading comments on Twitter, people sending in requests. So there was sort of an interaction there. I had feedback while I was playing. So that's totally different. Now, it might be different now because uh, the radio gigs, I was talking about like the guest things, those were before the Twitter era and everything. So there really was like no feedback. So it is a different situation. But I would say at least know what you plan to do during a radio set. You don't have to like prepare the entire mix, but know what you're about to do. That helps out. So you don't have to think about that and you don't have the crowd to give you that feedback. That's my opinion. Again, if you're watching the video clip, let me know how you handle that. If you do guest spots, do you have a specific way to treat that? If you do a radio guest spot, holla at your boy in the comment section. All right, so for this question, we're gonna take it a little bit to the personal side of things, talk about work-life balance, and this question is all about that. So, the question is, I won't mind if you can talk about DJing and real life, being married, having children, putting the family first, turning down gigs because of the family, like when you move from your previous address to your present, and just stuff about transition from a kid to a full-grown adult DJ. So yeah, we've been together for 17 years. So I've been in this situation that you could call the work-life balance situation where you have like your partner and then children come into the picture and turns into a family situation. Now when it was just me and her, I definitely was able to choose the DJ side of things a lot more. That's just a different situation. When kids come into play, Yo, those kids come first. That's that's my take on it. And I know not everyone will agree or feel the same. But for me, it definitely changed the path of my career because my focus shifted. I was not spending as much time on my career as I was before. And I definitely turned down certain things because I wanted to be there. Now, it might have hurt my DJ career to an extent, but I have no regrets about that. So that's what I'm saying. I know DJs who go the opposite direction and they're killing it and they're doing great business, but they hardly see their kids. That's a choice as well. Same, It's not just for DJing. You have people in business, in daily life, doing that all day, seeing their kids like two hours a day, and for the rest of the time they're working. So that's their situation. As a DJ, we have a little bit more choice because we're not 9 to fivers. But I chose family, and I'm very glad I did. I got to see both of my sons take their first step. I was there. I was present. I got to witness that. That's something no one can take away from me. And no gig on earth uh, can replace that. Being there, seeing that. That's a moment right there. So um, there have been situations like that where you choose differently. Like when my kids were still, my oldest was still young. And I got this opportunity to play. But I had to go away for like two weeks. I decided not to, now mind you, if this was like a really, really good business opportunity that would lead to a lot more in the future, I might have chosen differently. In this case, that wasn't it. It was like, okay, it's a couple of gigs. They're paid okay, but it's nothing special. And it's gonna take me away for my newborn two weeks. No, that's not happening. Now, that's when the kids just come into play. Of course, after that, if you are like really active within the family and you're part of the family, it changes your life. I have two sons right now, and they have school. They have their extra things. So that takes up a lot of time. Combining that with DJing is a different thing, especially if you're talking about waking up early in the morning to take kids to school when maybe the night before you DJed. And I've been in those situations where I come home like five in the morning all i can do is shower and then it's time for the kids to wake up it happens now it doesn't happen that much now because i'm not djing as much that's also a conscious decision to do that less um i'm seeing if there's anything else in there but um as far as longevity i started this when i definitely was a kid i've been doing it for over 25 years now I think the only reason i still love doing what i do is because i love what i do i love djing so that's why i stayed in it for so long because i had ups and downs so more gigs less gigs financially you're doing better financially you're not doing as good i never had a job on the side so music was always the only income um so yeah that fluctuated like crazy and if you're not totally into it, you're not totally devoted, your heart's not totally there, you're going to give up after a while. Now, that's okay. That just means you don't really have that much love for it. You just like it. It's a difference between liking and loving. But I'm so glad I chose the path I chose because I just felt that was what I needed to do. When I was that young, like younger, I was doing basketball and DJing at the same time. At a certain point, I had to make a decision. Which one am I gonna choose? Now, I love playing basketball, but I also love music and DJing. So I had to make a decision right there. And I chose, and I know I chose the right path. And the journey itself, the process itself, that's the whole adventure. And I love everything that has brought me so far even though not everything has been as great. Especially if you look at social media nowadays, you might think that DJs live this great life and all DJs that you see are doing amazing. That's just a bunch of BS, but that's because most of them treat instagram and facebook like their highlight reel and all you see is that good stuff when most of them have at the time tired as can be because they're traveling or they have a period where they don't have as many gigs or they post a lot of gigs like on their social and then you find out to hear that they're hardly getting paid for those gigs so yeah you have a nice list of gigs but you're not really making that much money so it's more appearance than actually good business uh yeah there's more that goes into it but For me, I've been able to do this and combine this life with family life also because of communication. You have to make sure that you're paying attention to your family, so if there's time when you're spending more time on work, you have to make sure to keep in check if everything else is okay. And especially when it comes to a relationship when you have children, for the people that are watching or listening that are in this situation where you have kids, You might run into a point where you find out that you're basically living your life and the focus is on the kids and then you forget about each other. That happens and you have to be aware of that, be conscious of that, communicate about that and take care of that because you all need to be tight. So it's an ongoing process because everything changes. Sometimes I might be more busy. And that's going to affect my family life as well. And sometimes I'll have more time, so it all depends. But for me, it is that I chose something I love that gives me a lot of happiness. So that's also healthy for them. And uh, communication is key. Sometimes you have to do more, and then you have to let them know, and you have to make sure that you keep your eyes and ears open to see and hear if you're lacking, if you're not spending enough time on that other side and take care of that then. But there's no formula. It's all experimental. You just have to live and see. Uh, that's at least my philosophy. That's how I've been doing it for this amount of time. And growth comes with that time as well. You learn from well, just the experience you gain, from all the gigs you do, mistakes you make, uh, uh, relationships, people you meet, everything, and... I look at life differently now than I did when I started. I make different decisions now than I did when I started. As a DJ, like I have the confidence and self-awareness to know, like no, nah, I'm not doing that gig because that's not, a, not, not gonna give me a good feeling. Even though I could use the money, I will choose not to because I wanna make sure I'm not tarnishing the passion that I have for the thing I do. I'd rather look for other outlets, like creating content, to still maintain and do the things I love to do so for me this is amazing being able to share my experience talk about DJing having DJ gear around to test and have that be part of my job part of my income and still touring with brainpower and still doing DJ gigs when I run into the gigs that are fun that are good and we'll see what time brings I'll continue to do this for a very long time if I can do the thing I love to do So that's my answer, rant, whatever you want to call it. And I hope that helps you out. And I hope more DJs would become a little bit more honest and share a little bit more instead of the facade that I see a lot of them hold up, like making it look all pretty and great. And there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. All right, that's it. Now, look, there were a lot more questions, but I'm going to stop the episode right here because I feel this is becoming a way too long episode. I already have more than enough questions for next week because the questions just kept on rolling in. I was even able to put some more questions in because I had to cut this recording into two. So I added some more questions now. And, um, yeah, once again, thanks to all of you for not just checking out the content online, like on DJ TLM TV, listening to the podcast, but also the interaction that we have online online especially on instagram all the questions i receive i truly love it and you guys give me that inspiration and actually material for more content so it's uh it's a give and take thing and you're giving me and i'm giving back and hopefully we can take some knowledge from each other and uh, become better That's it for this episode, episode two of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs, season two in 2019. I'll be back next week on Monday. In the meantime, make sure you check me out on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm everywhere, posting content everywhere. Uh, Let's chat. Let's chop it up and uh, check you next week.